You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It's one of those books in the Bible that you'd think it'd be over in the Old Testament because that's where most of the Hebrew folks are. Uh, but it's not. It's in the New Testament toward the end, the book of Hebrews in the sixth chapter. You might wonder, how do the New Testament and the Old Testaments, how do they relate to one another? Well, the New Testament complements and in many ways finishes off the prophecy, the predictions, the foretelling of the Old Testament. And today we come in lesson one of the series, The Anchor of Our Soul, and we come to the fulfillment of a prophetic promise that God would make to Abraham. If I were to ask you this morning, who are God's chosen people, you would say what? Israelites. But did you know God didn't necessarily choose a group of people? He chose one man, Abraham, who would be the father of the Israelite nation. He would call him. He would make a covenant with him. And then through him, he would bless all the nations of the earth. For when God, verse 13, made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. In other words, he gave his word, and his word is his bond. Saying, surely blessings I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he, talking about Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, in a moment, we're going to go back and look at that promise in the book of Genesis. Where God, verse 17, were more willing abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability or the unchanging nature of the counsel confirmed by an oath. In other words, when God makes a promise, he has absolutely no option but then to keep that promise. That by two immutable things in which it was, number one, impossible for God to lie. Stop there. If you happen to write in your Bible or highlight, get that. It is impossible for God to lie. Now I want to tell you, I'm thankful for presidents and governors and kings and for all the promises they make, but it is possible at times for them to lie. The nation of Israel wanted to be led by a king. God wanted them to be led by his sovereign nature. I'm grateful to know that we do not have to put our faith and trust in kings or governors or princes but we can put our faith and our trust in the very king of kings who cannot lie. Continue looking. That we might have a strong consolation, a determination, who hath fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Here it is, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of our soul both sure and steadfast, and which entered into that within the veil. Within the relationship that we can have with Almighty God, there are points to this anchor. I want you to think for a moment. There's a large anchor here, and from that anchor there are three points. This morning we're just going to begin the highlights of this series by looking at three of those points, what those points are, the things that we need to be anchored into. 
But I want us to understand a little bit about what Hebrews 6 is talking about. So look way back in the book of Genesis, the easiest book in the Bible to find because it's the first one. Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses. Now we know much about the covenant God would make with Abraham, but we are introduced to it here. Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. There's the introduction of Israel. God chooses Abram and said, From you I will make a great nation. He didn't choose a nation and say, Now I'm going to make you father over them. Continue looking. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And nation of Israel, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Now let me just tell you, and it's not really part of the message this morning, but it won't cost you any more. This is a permanent promise. This is a promise, a promise without expiration date. I am grateful that I live in America, the strongest nation on this planet. I am thankful for the strength of our military. I am thankful for the strength of our of of our financial situation. I am thankful for the strength of, of not only our economy, but the way our families are, are being blessed. I'm thankful for so many things, but more than anything else, I am thankful that we are strong allies with the nation of Israel because stronger than any ship at sea, any plane in the air, any tank ready to fire its missile, I want you to know that we have the power of Almighty God behind us because of our relationship with this blessed tiny little nation of Israel. This is a permanent, pro a permanent promise. But you say, what exactly is going on? God says to Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. You. Now we understand that Abraham would be commanded to take his son, his only son Isaac, up into the mountain and sacrifice him to God. Abraham, brokenhearted but willing to follow the command of God, took Isaac up into the mountain all the time asking, but Daddy, where's the lamb? Daddy, you have the fire. Daddy, we have the knife for the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And all along Abraham had confidence saying, God will provide the lamb. Don't worry, son, God will provide the lamb. And we see as Abraham's life was about to be taken, a ram was caught in the and the angel of the Lord spoke and said, God has provided himself a lamb. And then we see throughout the generations that there would be another lamb, another lamb prophesied. And finally John the Baptist would call out as Jesus came along the Jordan, Behold the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. Now we understand that there's a promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12. Listen, but there's also a promise made to you and me. The cross separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're some 2,000 years after the cross looking back at a promise that was given and a promise that was kept. Abraham looking toward the cross at a promise that would be given and a promise that would be kept. Father Abraham's offering was Isaac. It was spared. Father God's offering was Jesus and it was accepted. Isaiah chapter 9 says that a son would be given, a child would be given for us. And I'm grateful to know that God has kept that promise. Now get this very quickly. Man's deficiency. I want you to say that with me. 
Man's deficiency. You and I were deficient. We were unable to come to God. Because of our sin, because of our sin nature, there was a great wall separating us and a holy God. We could not go over it, under it, around it. There was no door through it. So God made a door through it. And His name is Jesus. I am thankful that through our deficiency, the Bible says we can discover God's sufficiency. What we were unable to do by keeping the law, what we were unable to do by our own righteousness, God fulfilled through the righteousness of His Son as Jesus died upon the cross. The acre of our soul is understanding this sufficiency. There are great historical evidences of the great I am. All throughout the pages of Scripture, we see the people of God standing not in their power, but the anchor of their soul standing in the power of Almighty God. We see also personal encounters. If you're here today and you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can look back and say, I would never have made it through this event or this event or this tragedy or this trial. I would never have made it through if it were not have been for my faith, if it were not have been for the anchor of my soul. The promise, the word of God, that he would keep every single one. Notice that his promises are unconditional, unchanging, undeniable, unwavering. We can count on his promises. Very quickly this morning, I just want to give you the three points that I believe by, by way of introduction that will help us establish what it is that our soul is to be anchored into. Now we understand as a church we're to be anchored into Jesus, the solid foundation, the chief cornerstone, and the bedrock so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But individually, what does it look like to have a soul that is anchored? Father, I pray you'd take these next few moments that you'd bless the study, that you would help us to hear a word from you. God, it's not so important what the preacher has to say, but oh, what the Holy Spirit would come and speak to each person. God, I pray that you would give clarity of mind and of speech, that we'd say those things that would point people to you. God, help our souls to be anchored. Father, I pray for that one that possibly has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that God, this would be the day, Holy Spirit, that you would tug at their heart, that you would knock at their heart's door, and that they would let you in. And for others, God, that may be here struggling with their own salvation, oh God, I pray that this would be the moment that they might have that absolute certainty, that they know that they know that they know. Help us to see the anchor of our soul in Jesus name amen and amen number one as we think about the points of this anchor number one the anchor of our salvation now listen we need to make sure that we've got that covered that we've got that taken care of so preacher what do I have to do to be saved well Nicodemus asked Jesus that and he didn't say do good things he didn't say be a good church member he didn't say join the church or even be baptized but he simply said, you must, you must, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus was a very religious person, yet he had missed the most important thing. I want to tell you, there'll be many people that will miss heaven by about 14 inches, the distance from their brain, their brain to their heart. They've heard it, they've understood it, but they've never received it. They've never accepted it. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, the biggest if in the, wor in, in, in the word, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might be here today and say, I don't know that I can get saved. I'm not sure I can be that faithful. I'm not sure I can be that just. Listen, friend, our responsibility is to put our faith in Jesus Christ who is faithful and who is just. I love the old song that the cathedrals used to sing, Thanks to Calvary. Imagine where we would be without Calvary. At the moment you and I would be born, 
a clock would be ticking down and the moments would pass one, one day closer with each day to an eternity separated from God, literally an eternity in hell. But thanks to Calvary, our salvation can be settled. Now understand, whenever we think about salvation, what is it based on? I was witnessing to a man yesterday, and I don't know about you, but sometimes it's difficult. It seems like they've got more answers than you've got uh, to come back. You know, and everything you do, they've got something. And finally, I said, well, what do you believe a person's got to do to get into heaven? And he said, well, I believe one of these days we're going to stand before St. Peter. Well, that's the first thing you're wrong on. But anyway, we're not going to stand before Peter. We'll stand before Jesus. But anyhow, and he said, I believe there'll be a list of all the good things that you did in life. And I believe there'll be another list of all the bad things that you did in life. And whatever list is the longest, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Friend, I want to tell you, I'm thankful it's not up to me to keep score because I could never, ever, ever, ever do enough good things to make up for one bad thing that I had ever done either in body and deed or simply by inheriting my sin nature. So we need to understand the very basics of our salvation. You may be here today and if someone asks you, are you going to heaven when you die? You might say, well, absolutely. I joined the church when I was such and such an age. I was baptized once upon a time. I've been involved. I've served on this committee. I've been a deacon. I've spoken. I've, I've sung a song. Listen, I want to tell you, Nicodemus had done all of those things, but when he looked Jesus eye to eye, Jesus said, you missed the main thing. You must be born again. Now, what does it look like to be born again? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, if any person is in Christ, that is, if any person is truly a Christian, there is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So think about this. This is so simple, even a child can understand. Salvation, number one, is about being a new creation. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about straightening up your act. It's not about getting things in order or, or making things right or somehow making peace. It is literally pouring yourself out before the sweet Holy Spirit of God and saying I need you. I receive you. Wash me. Make me white as snow accepting the free gift of Jesus upon Calvary's cross. And he doesn't just clean you up. I remember one time a young man got saved at a church back home and he said, well, I guess I'm going to have to get a haircut and I guess I'm going to have to go shopping and buy me some new clothes. And I said, listen, brother, all of that stuff will come in time as God leads you, but God's wanting to clean you up on the inside. That's the most important part. I wonder sometimes when we wake up on Sunday morning and we put on our best and we get our hairs just so, you know, and we put our makeup on and we put our suits and ties on and our dresses on and we say, well, I'm ready for church. Friend, can I tell you, God sees far beyond uh, the, the prim and proper people that we put on. He knows our very heart. And when he looks at us, he either sees one who is a new creation or one who is not a new creation. Over a hundred years ago, the Titanic sank. On that Titanic, there were rich people and poor people. There were people who were served and people who were servants. There were people on the top berth and people in the lower berths. There were people that had been on the boat for a week and people that had been on the boat for a day. There were people of great means and people of no means. But at the end of the day, there were only two lists, the saved and the lost. At the end of the day, that's all that matters is knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that I am saved. Think about this. I am a new creation. Now, what does that mean? It means when I get saved, all of my past has been forgiven. 
It's been blotted out of history. It's been erased from the very mind of God. You might go to God and say, God, that thing I did back before I got saved, it's just tormenting me. And God would literally say to you, I have no recollection of that. Why? Because the new creation, it's, that's who you are now. The old man is dead. The old man was crucified with Christ. So I'm a, a new creation, but there's something more. Not only am I to be a new creation, I also now have a new direction. I'm not simply a new creation that just goes right back doing the same old thing. I'm going down one path and when I repent, literally I'm turning and I'm going in the new direction. Listen, it's not enough just to allow God to clean you up. He's got to put you on a new course. I've always enjoyed washing uh, my car. I, I like to drive a clean car. I don't like to get in a car that's dirty and, and filthy and all those kind of things. Um, in fact, when I, when, I, when I counsel people before they get married, I always ask them, do one of y'all like a clean car and one of y'all like a dirty car? Because if you do, this marriage might be in trouble before it ever gets started. Can I get an amen? Some of y'all looking at one another. But anyhow, I loved it. And I remember years ago, I'd get my little car and I'd clean it up. And I'd, I'd, I'd polish it and I'd, I'd clean the wheels and get them so shiny. And I'd put armor all on the tires and, and get on the inside and spray armor on, wipe everything down. You'd climb in it and slide right off the seat and everybody couldn't hang on to the steering wheel. And it would just be perfect. And then I'd say, well, we can't drive it. I mean, many a day I've walked to church because I didn't want to drive my car. You know? You get armor all on the tires and you drive it, that dirt will stick to the armor all. But the fact of the matter is, friend, if you think God just cleaned us up to come in here and sit, you're missing the point. He cleaned us up so that He could put us on a new course, that He could give us a new direction, some new challenges, some new goals, some new opportunities, some new witness uh, times. This is what He wants to do for us, to put us on a new direction. He can only do that, by the way, by making us a new creation. Sometimes we say, God, I want you to change my life, but I really don't want you to change me. God, I want you to set me on a new course, but I don't know about all this salvation stuff. Here's the deal. We need to have everyday security. People ask me sometimes, preacher, what do you believe about eternal security? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I'll say, well, we need to talk about everyday security. When we talk about the anchor of our soul, we need to have our salvation settled. Not a hope so, maybe so salvation, but it needs to be settled. And remember, it's not settled in our ability to get saved. And it's not in our ability to stay saved. If I wake up every day scared to death that somehow I'm going to lose it, then likely it's not, I've probably never received it. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. The devil's favorite two lies are these. He loves to lie to lost people and tell them they're saved. You understand? He loves to make us think, well, I'm, I'm, I've got to be saved. I go to church. I, I do this. I, I live a better life than half the deacons I know. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't live any different than the preacher I know. So I'm probably okay. The devil doesn't mind us coming to church. He doesn't mind us going through the motions. He doesn't mind us singing the songs. He doesn't mind us toting the Bible. In fact, if he can offer a close substitute, he's pretty well got to speak. And the other lie is convincing saved people that they're lost. And when a saved person does not have security, they're not going to do anything to share their faith with anyone else. They'll be so insecure that they'll be afraid to try to share. They'll, they'll be afraid to try to witness to that which they're not convinced of themselves. So how important it is that that anchor of salvation be dug in and be dug in deep. 
Beloved, if you're here this morning and you cannot absolutely say with full confidence that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know I'm saved, oh, that God would give us that security this morning. I remember as a teenager, I'd been saved at eight years old, and I, looking back, I, I know that I was saved at eight years old, but I remember as a teenager there were many questions. And at 15, I went before God's throne and I said, Lord, I'm pretty sure at eight years old that I got saved. God, I felt your presence with me since the day I prayed and asked you to come into my heart. But God, I really just want to know. I just want to make sure. I know a lot more at 15 than I knew at eight. So God, I just want to reaffirm that commitment. God, I want to draw a line in the sand so that I can remind my enemy when he begins causing me to doubt. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Maybe September the 17th, 2017. That's an easy date to remember, 9-17-17. Maybe it would be that day you just draw a line in the sand and say, my salvation is settled. The anchor of my soul is dug in. No more am I going to wonder. No more am I going to worry. No more am I going to fret over my security. I'm going to go and try to influence the salvation of others now. The first point of that anchor is the anchor of salvation. Number two, the second point of that anchor is the anchor of sound doctrine. The Bible says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Listen, I want to ask you something. Do you have an appetite for the word of God? How many of you like Mexican food today? How many of you like steak and taters? Dwayne, Cheshire, I know it. I don't want anything that... I was at a Mexican restaurant a while back, and this lady came walking in singing cucaracha, cucaracha. Do y'all know, know what la cucaracha means? It means the cockroaches. That's what's, that's what's in fajitas. I didn't even know that. How many of you like hamburgers and fries? How about pizza? How about sushi? Some of y'all are just weird. Sushi, how can you get anything to your mouth that smells like that? Let me ask you something. How many of you have an appetite for the Word of God? I'm not asking for hands, but just truly, there's something within you. You know, I remember as a kid, we didn't go to church all the time, but when we went to church, I remember when the preacher would start, I'd look at my watch and i think, how long is this going to last? I, I just struggled with that. The enemy wants to snatch that away. He does not want us to enjoy being under the Word. He does not want us to enjoy... Listen. I promise you something at night, if you sit down and start reading your Bible, everything that comes against you will come against you at that moment. He knows the power of the Word of God. So the anchor of our soul is the Word of God. I'm saved, now what? Jesus has come into my heart, now what? Get in the Word of God. We can and must take God at His Word, but how can we take God at His Word if we don't know it? Three things. Number one, there's got to be a hunger for God's Word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word. Not the watered down, not the 1%, but the sincere milk. I can handle the truth. I want the Word of God. The Bible says in the last days, people would desire teachers who would just tickle their ears and, and sort of fancy them instead of the Word of God. But the fact of the matter is that God's people should have a natural hunger for truth. I, I want to know God's Word. Number two, there's got to be a hiding of God's word. Hiding of God's word. The song that the choir sang, who can satisfy such a clear picture of this? So what do I do with the word of God? Well, I can admire it from afar. I can appreciate it when I hear it. 
or I can apply it by hiding it, by letting it become part of who I am. My spiritual resume, the, the, the very repertoire I have with God, I know who He is because I know His Word. I'm hiding it in my heart. Psalm 119 says, Hide the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him. It's amazing the wealth of information that we can store. It's amazing the depths of the well that we will, if God will, if we'll simply allow Him, God will fill it up. When we study the Word of God methodically and carefully and intently, it is amazing how God will draw those things to mind when we need it so much. There is a spiritual apathy in church today. Folks come to be entertained. They come to be impressed. They come to be ministered to ministered and you wonder and I'm not trying to be ugly it's just the truth church has become a consumer uh, driven place where the the parishioners or the customers and the pastor and staff or the employees and you wonder what happened how did the church get so far away from the doctrines of scripture it's because the church has gotten out of the word of God so many people don't even own a copy of the word of God in America where it's free to own it, and yet there are people in this world today that are risking their lives to own one page. There are many villages in the, in the world where literally there may be one Bible and they carefully remove page by page and they share page after page with one another, reading and, and loving and gleaning from these pages of Scripture. Are you hiding the Word of God in your heart? Thankful for our Awana ministry and for our youth ministry and that we're allowing these kids to, to get under the Word and to learn the Word. So why do we have the word? Well, to prevent sinning, the Bible says. Also to protect us from the storms. There are times in life that we can just call out to God and just remind Him of the scriptures He's given to us. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to say or what to do and all you could do is just say, thank you, God, because you promised you'd never leave me nor forsake me. God, I am weak, but thank you that you promised when I am weak you would be strong. God, thank you for being that friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, thank you that you'll never allow the storm to be too big for my Savior. God, thank you. Don't you love the stories in the Word of God? We love the stories. The story of Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. The story of Joseph. The story of Moses and of Noah and of David and the giant. All of these stories. And those are wonderful things. And those are easy. But there's so much more in the Word of God that He desires for us to have. More than just a storybook but a source of strength and encouragement, direction and wisdom. If ever we needed to be a church that embraces sound doctrine, it is now. There's a hunger for the word, a hiding of the word, but thirdly, there's got to be a heeding of the word. It's not just enough to know it or appreciate it, but literally when it says halt, we halt. When it says go, we go. Sometimes people will say, well, preacher, why do we do all this mission work? Well, it's not because I like to travel. I do. But it's not because I like to travel. It's not because I want to appear in the next episode or issue of the biblical recorder, the BR Now. It's not because I want to see our people's picture on the big screen in the background working at a Baptist men's event. But it's because years ago, as I prayed for greater wisdom and insight on how to lead this church, God showed me Acts 1.8 that says after this you will receive power. That's the Holy Spirit. And then you will become my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. 
I remember sitting in my office working on a message on, called Missiology 101, which is the study of missions 101. And, Acts, and as I was sitting there, you know me, I, I like little catchphrases and I like things to be alliterated. And, and those words here, there and everywhere just kept pounding in my head and I couldn't wait for Sunday. Here, there and everywhere is more than simply a, a cute little a colloquial phrase. But it's literally God's command. And by the way, it's not pick one. The word and between Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, 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 and. So why do we do missions? Because God's word says it. Why do we feed people in the community? Because God's word says it. Why do we you know, do uh, you know, the things that God commands us to do in ministry projects? Because God commands it. Why do we teach the word of God? Because God's word commands it. It's not about just being a church, but it's about heeding God's word. As a child, one of the first songs I ever learned was called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I'm thankful. Listen, we're talking about the anchors of our soul. There's not much we can stand on today. You know, I'm thankful that we can stand on the precious and powerful Word of Almighty God. Number three, and I'm done. There's the anchor of our salvation who is Jesus. There's the anchor of sound doctrine that is the Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. But there's also the anchor of a settled eternity. If you knew that you were getting ready to die, and if you knew that your words would be recorded in a book that people would read every day for at least 2,000 years, how carefully would you choose your words? Jesus knew that this would be his last encounter with his closest followers. Jesus knew that these words would be penned as his last conversation recorded in the pages of Scripture. And for at least 2,000 years we would read these words and we would glean wisdom and insight and instruction from these words. So he chose his words carefully when he said this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. How many teachers are here this morning? You ever had a student in class that couldn't wait for you to get quiet so they could ask their question? In fact, sometimes they didn't even wait for you to get close to being done. Ooh, 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 ooh. Right? Thomas had a question. When Jesus started talking about the way, and Jesus started talking about going and, and preparing and all these things, it is about to drive Thomas crazy. And Thomas spoke up and he said, But Lord, we don't know where you're going. <clears throat> Lord, how can we possibly know the way? I don't know. Maybe Jesus set him up. Because Jesus then turned and said the most powerful words in Scripture. I am. The way. When we read that, understand I am is the name of God. I am equals the way. I am equals the truth. I am equals the life. Now, no man comes to the Father except through me. But, other, but everybody can come to the Father through me if they'll receive and accept. See, there's an anchor of a settled eternity. Notice what Jesus said. Don't let your heart be troubled. Just believe. Put your faith and trust in me. Paul said this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I remember as a little boy, 
going through a chapter of my life, I'd had a, a loved one that passed away, and I went to the funeral home, and it just, I don't know, it did something to me. And um, I went home, and I began thinking about death. I began thinking about the fact that my parents would one day die, my grandparents would one day die, that I would one day die. And it overwhelmed me. And I dealt with it alone for a while, and finally I told my mom what I was going through. And she said, oh, honey, everybody's going to die. But don't let the fear of death keep you from missing all the wonderful things of living. Pretty good insight. You see, the enemy wants us to be so concerned about so many things that we really can't do anything about. You know? I always pick on some of my friends that have better eating habits than I do. And I have decent eating habits. They're not the greatest, not the worst. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know? They said, well, you need to eat this, you need to eat that. And I said, my luck, I'd eat all that really healthy food. And then one day I'd be up in New York City on a mission trip and I'd step right out in front of a cab. And my dying words would be, I could have had a Snicker bar. You know? But it doesn't matter how much I try. I can't beat death. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I've determined when I go do revivals now, I'm going to ask people going in, please don't try to shake my hand. My hands hurt so bad when they shake, there's something about it, just the arthritis. And some of you have it when it shakes, you'd about go to the floor. I'd like to think I could just magic dust and that go away. But I'm not going to let the fact that I have arthritis or anything else keep me from living. You know, you just hurt a little bit as you live. May I ask you, is there anything keeping you from living today? You see, when we think about having a settled eternity, it helps us to keep around the fact that life is temporal. It is. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. In this room, there are people who've lost loved ones in the last year that a year ago you would never have expected to bury that loved one. And you understand that life is temporal. One of my favorite movies of all times is Dead Poet Society. And Robin Williams, who was dealing with his own demons every day, in this character he played, he took a group of boys out to a window and they looked at pictures of the generations past. And he said, all of these kids once stood where you're standing. All of these kids once played on the teams that you played and attended the classes and they're all dead. What are you going to make of your life? All of us are aging so fast. Did you know that? Spoken with the man of the full head of hair. You know, I look in the mirror and I think, what happened? I'm, you know, see my picture somewhere and I think, who is that? You know. And the realization is that there's nothing we can do about the quantity of our days. But we can do something about the quality of our days. Plug into the Word of God. Get involved in what God's doing. Be a minister. And I don't just mean being ordained and having a position. I mean minister every day wherever it is. I saw a group of our folks, two groups in fact, one fed. And this is what I love. I just thought this was awesome. Two campuses coming together. One campus feeding West Bladen at their football game. One campus feeding East Bladen at their football game Friday night. That's cool. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. I don't know many people that can't put a hot dog inside of a bun. In the name of Jesus. And those young people were moved by that. Were moved by that. Whatever it is, make the most of life. And then finally, realize that while life is temporal, death is eternal. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Listen, I can act like I'm going to get to escape this or somehow, you know, I remember... Last week and the week before, seeing people that were being interviewed in Florida and in Texas. And they would be asked, why are you not heeding the evacuation orders? And they said, oh, I've seen storms like this before. 
I've never evacuated. Oh, I, I, re, I rode out this storm and that storm. I'm not worried. A couple of days later, some of those same reporters went back on a boat and rescued some of those same people out of their attic crawl spaces. They were ready to get out then. The fact of the matter is the world right now is not too concerned about Jesus coming back. I can promise you, CNN, MSNBC, even on Fox, none of those new channels today will say, folks, we know that Jesus is coming soon. I will say this, and it's just kind of interesting. If you've been, I don't watch much news because most of it's just frivolous and just crazy. But they had a fundraiser here in the last week, which I'm grateful for all the millions of dollars rich people are willing to give to help storm victims. Grateful for it. But one after one after one, just all of these famous people who made a living by being able to sing or at least thought they could sing kept talking about global warming. One of the particular people, and I certainly, you know, we need to be very protective of our, of our world. It's the only one we got. And I'm a tree hugger before it was cool to be a tree hugger, okay? But they said one of the, one of the superstars, and I don't remember her name because I'd never heard of her, but she was a superstar because she said she was. She said, Something's got to be done. Can't you see what's going on? There's so many natural disasters and so many unexplained things within our weather. Um, other kept saying that and I thought, yeah. The Bible said in the last days there would be unexplained weather patterns. Now, I'm not smart enough to give you all the meteorological explanations for it. But when people say this simply makes no sense, it's a phenomenon of nature. It's simply fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture, right? How about it? Is your anchor Jesus today? Are you anchored in the Word of God? Is it settled all eternity? All eternity. I said it last week, but 100 years from now, none of us will be here. None of us. Where will you be? Settle it. Just settle it. Father, thank you that we can't have a settled soul. God, you